I know you like to sing. Do you like to sing opera, Angie? Publicly? No. What about in the shower then? Well, you know, I can't compete with your musical stylings in the shower rod. You just like it when I roll my R's and hit that high C. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone, and here we are celebrating what people love to do creatively by giving them a voice. I'm Rod Jones. And I'm Angie Jones. Welcome to the Thought Row Podcast. We invite you to subscribe wherever you listen, and we are available virtually anywhere you listen to podcasts. No matter what you do creatively, this is the podcast for you. All right, Angie, what are we going to discuss today? Well, today we're going to be speaking with Madison Marie McIntosh, and she is an opera singer. Oh, you know, I've been following her, actually, on Instagram, uh, where she posts some of her performances. Her talent, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Let's hear your quote, though, today. Oh, okay. So our quote really applies to the shower singers out there. Pay attention to this one, Rod. Oh, thank you. Uh Uh, Yeah, here it comes. There's no half singing in the shower. You're either a rock star or an opera diva, and that is by Josh Groban. So I'm certainly no diva, and I'm definitely (laughs) not a rock star, but I do like singing in the shower. Well, you know what? I think because of the fabulous acoustics in the shower, I think anyone is an opera diva and anyone is a rock star, and you just have fun with it and belt it out. Yeah, well, the acoustics and the soap, it's good, clean fun. (laughs) It is good, clean fun. Okay, so now it's your turn, Rod. We are ready for Rod's Motivational Moments. Okay, here yeah. we go. Okay. And I had to think about this one a little bit, and I try to apply this one to myself. Mm-hmm. But here we go. Dedicate at least one hour a day to solitude and thinking. Ooh, that's a really good one. That's well, a really good one. I, I don't think we don't do that enough. And it's a great way to reduce anxiety and stress and just about every really great thinker or people that have accomplished great things in their life, they took a special time of day to sit down and actually think. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is uh, we always talk about Einstein and how brilliant he was. Well, he had a favorite chair, and I think I mentioned this in an earlier podcast. He had a favorite chair that he would love to go sit in, and that's where he would do all of his thinking. In fact, that's where he came up with the equation equals mc squared, as well as a lot of other scientific uh, formulas that he Mm -hmm. came up with. And then what about Tesla? Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. Tesla, he was an avid thinker, and so much so that I think that people thought he was a little odd because he really liked to, you know, take the time to close himself off from people so he could get into deep thought. So I think it's a really, you know. Well, philosophers, too. I mean, philosophers, you, you, going back in literature, like Thoreau, you know, he'd walk around Walden's Pond and he would think. And I'd say there's probably a lot of writers that take special time to get away and just think. 
You know, when you said that, it made me think about how in our lives these days, it's so hectic and we've always got a lot of input from, you know, our our social media, of course, TV, getting phone calls and just having to always be engaged in something that maybe we, we all need to take an hour a day and just have complete silence. It might be kind of interesting to see all the creative thoughts you can come up with just they will percolate at that point, I think. Yeah, at first your mind will wander a little bit, mm-hmm. and then you'll come on an idea, and you'll be surprised how many ideas start floating into your mouth. Like, I mean, into your mind and your mouth too, I guess. But yeah. if, you're trying, <laughs> if you're trying to come up with a, a solution to a problem, mm-hmm. if you just sit down and completely relax and put it out of your mind, right. it all of a sudden the answer pops in. Well, I know when, when you were little, you used to say that your mom and maybe some teachers would say, okay, Rod, you need to go have a, not, not really a timeout, but a timeout just to like collect yourself. You mean you're talking about, Rod, go to the corner uh, and sit there <laughs> and think about what you just said. Well, well I doubt maybe if a I little ever, of that. Yeah, I, I doubt know. if I ever really thought about it, but, <laughs> but um, I do remember it, however. I do remember the corner. Uh-huh. I could almost tell you how the walls were painted. Well, you know, I think a lot of boys go through a phase when they're a little bit rebellious, but that that helps them to individuate, I guess, as they get older. Yeah, I think so. Right on. But while we're on the subject of singing, I know that there is an audience dedicated to listening to opera, and then there's an audience that would say, oh, I don't know, I'm not really into it. But I think that when you expand your horizons and try different types of music, I think it's really very creatively inspiring. Well, seeing how we're going to be chatting with somebody that sings opera beautifully, I have a famous, a famous, I have a favorite aria that I like. I certainly like Carmen. Of course. And then Puccini's Nessun Dorma. Oh, that is such a pretty song. I mean, everybody's yeah. familiar with that because Pavarotti made it famous and there's been TV commercials that have used it. And I think they used it at the Olympics, if I'm not mistaken. I think you might be or right. Or tennis, tennis. Oh, yes. It's tennis it where is. they use that. Yes. It's such a beautiful composition. What about you? What do you like? You know, I love Queen of the Night, as oh, you yeah. know, my yeah. favorite. And... I'm trying to think of what other ones, but I can't recall. Of course, Carmen, we had already said that. I would love it if you could hit that high C in Queen of the Night. Oh, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I hear that. I I don't think I could do it. Every time I hear that, I always turn to you and say, will you please sing that for me? Right. It's going to happen. Maybe with a lot, if I practiced a lot, it might not sound great, but it would be Fun to try. Well, if any of our listeners have never heard that, I recommend listen to it. It's it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. The story behind it's kind of interesting too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone has their favorite genre of music, but it can be very rewarding to listen to styles of music that you wouldn't think you would like. So true, so true, and I think this is where. You know, if you don't normally listen to classical music or if you don't listen to opera, you should kind of include it in your playlist instead of listening to the same thing that you, we all do this. We get a playlist and we'll we'll work it to death. But, you know, venture outside your zone and listen to classical or opera or jazz. I listen to all kinds of music. You As really you know, do. I really like country music, mm-hmm. but I also like classical music. When mm-hmm. I paint, I have a tendency to listen to classical music, especially Beethoven. 
mm-hmm. and Mozart. They just, I don't know, it's something about their music, especially Beethoven. It just imparts creativity. You can't help but not have good creative oh, thoughts yeah. when you're listening to his music. How could you not? I especially mean, the Ninth Symphony. He's channeled all that is amazing in, in life to be alive into his music. Yeah, but I, you know, I encourage people to listen to different kinds of music. I mean, there are some ty- styles of music that I find very difficult to tolerate, mm-hmm. but, you know, I'll listen to it at least a little bit just so I know what it's all about. Yeah, and you don't want to miss out. Right. But going outside your comfort zone, it can really stimulate your creative thinking. Yeah, like going to different museums. Oh, yeah, that's so true. You could go to museums that you would not normally ever think that you should mm-hmm. go into. And I remember one time I had the opportunity to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. I had a meeting. It was in Pittsburgh. But the person I was with, he said, oh, man, we're so close. Let's go over there and go to that museum. And I have to say, you know, I was rolling my eyes. I'm going, you know, I just really don't feel like walking through that museum and seeing a million pictures of Elvis Presley and you name it. Yeah. But I went. And after I left, I thought, wow, what an experience. There's so much history in there. And I was so excited to see all that history and all the photographs. And it brought back some memories of different types of music that I actually really enjoyed. But that was quite an experience. And I can assure you, if it wasn't for that friend of mine saying, let's go there, I wouldn't have never done it. It's so true. It's a different type of stimulation for your brain where you can, you know, be exposed to new things. That, well, you know, you and I, good. if we ever traveled around, God, especially the Southwest, where every yeah. town we ever went into, we'd find the biggest or the lowest museum and you know, some of them were just on rocks, some of them were just on glass. One museum featured telephone pole insulators. Yeah. Um, but I found it very interesting. Those were kind of cool, actually. Yeah, and the docent there was really quite mm-hmm. fun to listen to. Now, remember the one time we were out off-roading in a Jeep, and I found a on an old map that was your, one of your dad's map. And we, I said, let's go out on the Sturt Road. There is an old Indian ruin out there. And we went out there, and apparently it was one of the oldest and well-preserved because nobody would drive out the Sturt Road. It was kind of rugged. That's when we would ride in our Jeep. And it had the most beautiful artworks all over the Kiva, which is their their dwelling. Yeah, it was decorated. Yeah, but nobody would ever go there. Nobody ever messed with it. That was really quite special. Yeah, that was kind of an unusual thing to encounter. And it was neat to see that it wasn't developed or, you know, it wasn't made into a, quote, museum, but it was. They were trying at the time. Well, and also there's millions or hundreds, I don't know how many, music museums. There's a lot of music museums in this country and all over the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're really worth going into. Mm -hmm. I I think they're pretty exciting to go into a music museum. You learn so much. And I remember we went to a museum where Beethoven actually had lived there in Mm -hmm. a home that he had. And that was pretty interesting. That was interesting. Anyway, all this chat about singing Mm -hmm. reminds me it's time to hear what a real opera singer has to share. Oh, I'm so excited to talk with our special guest today, Madison Marie McIntosh. Okay, here we go. (music) 
Madison, welcome to the Thought Row podcast. And you know from what Angie and I know about you so far, this is going to be a really interesting interview about the magic of opera. And I also have to add one other thing. You have got a great first name. Sounds very like an opera name. Oh, thank you, Rod. I was actually named after a river in Montana, the Madison River. Oh, okay. Oh, that's really interesting to know. Hi, Madison. And I agree. I know our listeners will have the chance to hear what it's actually like to be an opera singer and what goes on behind the scenes. Well, it's great to talk with you today. Thank you, Rod and Inchi, for hosting me on this great podcast. Oh, thank you. You're very welcome. You know, Madison, we met on social media, and I really enjoy your posts, and apparently a lot of other people do too. And it's because you post your images of you performing and the audio of some of your performances. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you, Rod. I've really been enjoying both of your posts too. Yes, we met through Instagram, which I had joined early during the pandemic in order to maintain professional visibility when everything was shutting down. And it then um, really became a great resource to let people know about the virtual projects and live performances that I was doing. Well, later on, we'll refer to this, but we encourage people to... Definitely follow you on Instagram because that way they get to see where your performances are and what what you're doing and And what's up. And your unique style. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Now, okay, Madison, before we officially start our interview today, we always like to ask our guests what they had for breakfast. So what did you have for breakfast? I had a large serving of egg whites fried in olive oil, some mango slices and some brown bread. That sounds very healthy and a lot of protein to keep you going. So wonderful. Yeah. High in protein. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Give you energy. Now, I know we've talked about this a little bit, but tell us, share with our audience your earliest recollections of wanting to be a singer. Well, my uh, my mother jokes that I was singing even before I was talking, which is saying something because I was a chatty social kid from a very early (laughs) age. And singing was something that I did for fun long before it evolved into my passion. When I was in kindergarten and we would sing the national anthem every morning, I would sing in my so-called opera voice, much to the consternation of my classmates. Um, And I would also (laughs) embarrass my poor parents by singing very loudly in the congregation at church. And eventually I auditioned for a school play when I was in uh, third grade. And the music director somehow got in touch with my parents and asked whether they knew that I had, you know, a, a voice for singing. And they said... Well, we knew she was loud. <laughs> and, uh, sure. Oh, no. And I started, I started to take voice lessons a year or two after that, um, by which time I knew that I wanted to be an opera how, singer. How old were you when you started taking the voice yeah. lessons? When I was 10. I wasn't studying with an opera teacher then. I was studying with the music director of a church. Uh-huh. And then when I was 12, I started to study with a musical theater teacher. And when I was 13, I started with my first opera teacher, the soprano Virginia Zeani. Ah. Oh, are, are there a lot of children at that age start to sing opera? I mean, if that is their ultimate game. Yeah, can, you, it... can you start training for opera when you're a child? Well, I mean, some children start to take voice lessons, although a lot of opera singers come to opera a bit later. Uh-huh. I just got bitten by the bug, so to speak, very mm-hmm. early. It, as I mentioned, was something that I loved to do just for fun that 
evolved early on into my passion. And I just really couldn't imagine doing myself anything else because I, uh, I loved it so much. Were you the only student then? I mean, were there several other children in that class or was it just a solo teaching? I was at the time the youngest student whom she had taken. At first, she actually didn't want me to tell anyone that I was her student because she said people will say that Zayani is crazy, that she has taken a baby as a student. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So to an extent, I actually had to keep it secret at first. But then when I had made enough progress, she uh, allowed me to tell people. Oh, my goodness. And I (laughs) I assume she created some sort of recital then for you. Is that right? Yes, I gave my first full-length recital soon after I turned 15. Where? In West Palm Beach, Florida, in the recital hall of Palm Beach Atlantic University, Person Hall. Oh, how nice. That's a nice place to be. Very nice. It is nice, yes. Yeah. I wanted to find out, besides singing, did you ever explore other forms of music like instruments and things? I did study a few instruments, but was (laughs) never very good at playing any of them, Mm -hmm. I admit. I actually started to take piano lessons when I was three years old. My parents had taken me to a classical concert for kids, and I had been enthralled and subsequently begged my parents for piano lessons. Uh And they finally found a teacher who was willing to teach piano to a toddler. And then the son of one of my mother's friends would have violin lessons after my piano lessons. Uh And I saw him playing the violin and thought that that was really cool and wanted to take violin lessons. So I then played violin for a few years too, and even studied harp very briefly as an adolescent. But by that time, I was already starting to become more serious about singing Mm -hmm. and soon decided to focus on that. That's really interesting. Now, are your parents musically inclined? They are fans of music, but they're definitely not musicians. My mother is a lawyer and a CPA, and my father is a CPA and a businessman. Oh, okay. That's really interesting because sometimes, you know, you inherit your musical talent through your family because you, I think you just absorb it from hearing it so much. But for you, it really just was individual to you. So that's kind of interesting. It was instilled in her. Yeah, it was yeah. just, you were born okay. with it inside. Yeah, with it. Yes. When I was really little, my parents would play music of various genres around the house. Mm-hmm. Everything from opera to the Beatles. My father is a big fan of the Beatles. But somehow I was pretty particularly drawn to classical music, especially opera. And if opera would be playing on the radio or on television, for example, if PBS would have a special on Pavarotti or Beverly Sills, and one of my parents would try to change the channel, I would scream because I just wanted to keep hearing the opera. (laughs) And they wanted to watch the Beatles. Right. (laughs) (laughs) No, they were also opera Uh, fans. No, that's that's good. See, now you have a little bit of a background in playing the piano. And then when you go out on stage and you have a pianist that is accompanying you, do you ever go over and tell him what keys to hit that you want? Mm, They're pretty much in the scores, the piano reductions that I give to the pianist. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I never really excelled at playing the piano. So I have a lot of respect for people who can do that. Mm-hmm. But, oh, but that's interesting what you said. So the pianist, and I know some people use the word pianist. So you actually go over and give them instructions as to phases or parts of the song you're going to sing? I hand the pianist the score, the sheet music of the piece that I'm going to sing. And I might talk about tempi. 
I might sing under my breath a, a phrase from the aria in order to demonstrate the tempo. Yeah. Especially if it involves coloratura. I sing a lot of music with coloratura or if it's a lesser known piece. Mm-hmm. But in general, the pianists who play opera are trained to follow singers. So normally the collaborations go really smoothly. Oh, nice. That's so nice. That's good. We know you're a mezzo-soprano. Could you tell us, well, tell our audience, especially our listeners, what exactly does that mean? It means that I have a lower voice. (laughs) (laughs) Sopranos are higher and mezzos are lower. All of us do sing notes that would be considered high in other genres of vocal music. But as a mezzo, I spend more time in the low and middle parts of the voice. What are the other ranges? I know you mentioned soprano. Where sopranos hit the highest notes, like they always say the high C, is that correct? Yes, soprano is the highest voice type. There are also divisions within the broader voice types, and those are fafs. But in general, yes, there are soprano and mezzo. Uh, Not a lot of singers label themselves contraltos. Um, Actually, mezzo-soprano was a voice type that came around later. There were sopranos and contraltos, and eventually the voice type mezzo-soprano, which literally means middle soprano or medium soprano or half soprano, came around. But nowadays, in general, opera singers... Female-voiced uh, opera singers consider themselves either sopranos or mezzo-sopranos, but if you still label themselves mm-hmm. contralto, sorry to be so long-winded no, no, about no, that. No, 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 I mean, that, that's interesting. We want to know. And so what goes below a mezzo-soprano? So then there are countertenors who are biologically male singers who sing in mezzo-soprano or soprano ranges. And then there are the traditionally male voice types, tenor, baritone, bass, baritone, and bass. Okay. We don't know the whole progression. We know a little bit about it because you see it in an opera or you see it in a choir. Or when they introduce the Or when they introduce them. But, you know, when you you get into the fine-tuning of it, I don't know that everyone knows that. So thank you for sharing that with us today. My pleasure. Now, I know most operas are sung in Italian or other languages, like German sometimes. How do you teach yourself to sing in various languages? In college, we had Italian, German, French, and English diction classes, Mm -hmm. um, as well as language classes. So we learned the rules of pronunciation of those languages, as well as the International Phonetic Alphabet, Mm -hmm. IPA. I actually knew of that IPA before I knew of the drink IPA. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) So if I have to learn an aria or role in yet a different language, such as Russian, I can find an IPA transcription and then work with a coach. And I've also become conversant in Italian, which is the language in which I probably sing most frequently. Right. Right. I could see that because a lot of the operas are in Italian. Well, some of the greatest operas from my perspective are Italian operas. Very true. Yeah. I love Italian. Yes. Well, then what is your favorite opera to perform in? Oh, that's a tough question to answer because I'm in love with a lot of roles. Mm -hmm. But a few of my favorite ones that I've sung are Rosina in The Barber of Seville, Isabella in L'Italiana in Algeri, and the title role of Carmen. Uh, the oh, of role of Carmen. Yes. And we actually heard you sing that when you, we were talking to you in an initial conversation. We actually heard you sing some of that, and it was really 
It's uh, beautiful. Well, I'll give you chills because we chills because I does. love that anyway. It's yeah. such a great piece of music, and I can see Madison why you are really enjoy singing that. I really loved singing it. Yes, it's definitely one of my favorites. And I think how does that? I mean, it gives you an opportunity to, if I say it correctly, use your range, right? The range of your voice. Definitely, yes. It's it's a role with a, a range that I really love, and it sits in. A tessitura that's comfortable for me, the, the tessitura of a role or a piece is the area of the voice in which it sits, in which it spends most time. And Carmen is a really, really comfortable role for me that I loved singing. Well, it's very pleasing to the ear. I mean, it's wonderful to listen to. And it gives you a lot. Of, I mean, when you hear it, it really builds up energy. Definitely. Especially because the line is repeated over and over, but the cast behind the singer repeats it. It's really nice. Anyway, I hope people Google it and listen to it. If, they, if they've if they never listened to Carmen, it's well worth it. You will enjoy it, definitely. You will enjoy it. I have a question about, it seems like you have to be really good at rolling your R's and singing at the same time. How did you train your voice to do all of that, Madison? That part actually came pretty easily, although I had to learn which R's were rolled and which ones were flipped that's particularly important in Italian. For example, caro with a flipped R means deer, whereas carro with a rolled R means cart. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you don't want to mix that up because that can make no. a big difference. So the rolling of the R's can actually change the meaning of the word? Wow. Yes, yeah, sometimes. I did not know that. That's interesting. I roll my R's and it doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say, Madison? There's the aria um, O mio babbino caro from Gian Mischicchi, which means Oh my daddy dear. But if it were O mio babbino carro, it would mean Oh my daddy cart. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. It really changes the meaning. Yeah, That's we know amazing. that Oh my daddy dear one. That's kind of nice. Yeah. This is something that when Angie and I are watching opera, oh, yeah. even when we've watched it on stage or watching it on television. When you're doing a duet with another opera singer, how do you manage to keep from overpowering each other? Opera singers are usually cast so that there will be good balance, so that one duet partner, for example, won't have a much bigger voice than the other. Mm -hmm. But flexibility is a big part of the job, so a singer may occasionally be asked to tone it down a bit when singing with someone whose voice is less large. Mm. I could see that. But, you know, I think in, in the compositions that you're singing, there's probably a lot of direction in loudness and et cetera anyway. So you probably would take that notation. Yeah. And the other yes, thing, the other thing related to that, and I want to ask a question about the conductor. It also looks to me like we like to say you're you're singing so the people in the back row can hear your voice and you're singing. Sometimes you're singing, you know, you have a more of a romantic scene and you're singing directly into the face of another opera singer and into their ears. It seems to me that would impact their ears. Is that true? That's a very good question, actually. I think that we're probably used to it. I don't remember having been bothered by that before or having received any complaints. And yet, when I was younger and I would sing around the house and I would um, torment my poor parents, you know, they're, they're very, very supportive. But mm -hmm. occasionally I would sing loudly in small rooms and my mother would remind me, loud noise, small space. Um, <laughs> I guess that 
opera singers are probably used to it. Do you get direction from a conductor when you're singing an opera? Yes, a conductor might occasionally request certain dynamics. Sometimes the dynamics, the loudness and softness, are indicated in the scores. And sometimes it's also up to the preference of a conductor. And a conductor might give directions about expressivity or even very fine points such as how much articulation the conductor would like in the coloratura, the fast notes, whether the fast notes should be sung in a very smooth legato manner or they should be sung with more division Mm -hmm. between notes. And as I mentioned, flexibility is a big part of the job and it's also something that I enjoy. I enjoy being able to sing in a wide variety of manners depending on the directions that I get from conductors and stage directors. We all, we always see conductors, especially to the strings or something, and they're telling them to quiet down during a particular passage. The conductor is telling the musicians what to do. Is he also telling what the opera singers to do? I mean, how much does he impact when you're singing? And he's also managing the orchestra itself. There are different conductors who have different styles. Some of them like to follow the singers and the choices of the singers. For example, about tempi, how how quickly or how slowly to go or how much give and take. And some conductors would like to give more directions to the singers about how they would like to have things Mm. done. So there's definitely a wide variety of conductors and that's um, something that I find a lot of fun. I bet, you you know, you have to kind of follow their lead. I suppose there's times when certain opera singers probably go, I don't like what you're telling me to do. (laughs) But if they're professional, I'm sure they work it out. Right. And I wanted to ask you a question about your voice. I know that your voice is your instrument. How do you work to keep it in shape? I do vocal exercises or vocalises, as singers sometimes call them. It's very important to warm up the voice before singing repertoire. As, for example, a runner warms up before running a marathon or a gymnast warms up before performing a routine. And I follow a healthy diet that's low in acid and high in protein and fiber, as we mentioned. Right. And I do plank exercises at times while singing. That is so amazing. It's hard enough doing the plank. I can't imagine. Imagine you singing while you're doing it, Madison. That's incredible. <laughs> I definitely had to build up to it. I would get into a plank position and do a vocal ease in a couple of keys and then lie down and rest and then get up and do it in another couple of keys and then lie down and rest again. But then I really built up my strength. Planks are really good for de- developing core strength. I would say so. And then singing on top of it, you're like double firming and core strengthening on, on so many levels. Exactly. Yes. Before you go out on stage, is there anything that you drink or take? Uh, you know, we hear some people drink lemon juice or whatever. I doubt that that's what they no, do, yeah, no. uh, but, but <laughs> they do. What's the last thing you take in before you go out on stage? Water or what is it? Definitely water, alkaline water, in order to avoid the acid. Oh, okay. Now, I've heard you mention this several times. Why are you so cautious of having acid in your diet? A lot of singers experience acid reflux because a singer's system of breath support can push that stuff up. So I'm very cautious. I mean, if I weren't a singer, I I wouldn't be so cautious about that sort of thing. It's not that I had a major issue with it. But even the slightest little bit of acid can make a little bit of a difference in a singer's voice. 
And I, I call my voice my baby. I really try to take good care of it. Oh, so yeah. there are lots of things that I do um, when it comes to the foods that I eat and what I drink um, and other things that I do in order to take care of my voice. Well, I hope your voice is all tuned up because we're going to ask you to give us a little bit of an opera snack today. Sure. I'd love to sing a little snippet from Songs for the People, a new song by composer Amy Scaria. And then afterward, I'd love to share with you the story of how that piece came to be. Okay. Well, right now we'll listen to it. Yeah, and then you can tell us the backstory and a little more detail about it. And that was absolutely lovely. It was beautiful. Thank you, Rod and Dingy. I can see why you're an opera singer. <laughs> yeah, so talented, my goodness. Thank you very much. Tell us about that piece. Yeah. So that was Songs for the People by Amy Scaria. I recently premiered that in a concert to benefit the American Prize. A few months ago, when I was putting together repertoire for that concert, I was interested in singing standard arias and art songs, as well as a few world premieres. But long story short, it evolved into a concert of all world premieres. And I had recently been connected with Amy through the Christman Opera Company, mm -hmm. run by another composer, Theodore Christman. And I had fallen in love with her music, and I wrote to her to ask whether she had any new pieces, any not yet premiered pieces for mezzo or contralto that she might be interested in having me sing in this concert. Mm -hmm. And Amy is just the nicest, nicest lady who writes lovely music. And um, she said, oh, I don't have any new pieces, but I'd love to write one for you. Do you have any favorite texts? And I said, hmm, no, not really. There are a lot of beautiful classic poems. Maybe you could pick something that speaks to you. And so Amy did a search of classic poems, and almost immediately she found one that did truly speak to her, written by a poet who shared Amy's birthday. Not same birth year, definitely <laughs> not, but same birthday. Well, that's, Songs for that's the good. People. Yeah, thank you for sharing yes, that. Yes, thank you so much. It's good to hear the backstory of it and get a feeling for what, how it came into your life, how you encountered Amy and, and the, yeah, whole, we'll have the whole story. A, we'll have a link on the Yeah, it's kind of her. a neat thing to hear. Yeah. But I also want to mention for anyone out there that's listening, if you'd like to hear more about Madison and her performances, and her performances her check singing. her out on YouTube. She has a YouTube channel and you can see her whole entire performance instead of just a tiny little snack like we gave you today. Yeah, and we're going to be we're going to be getting up against the clock here, so we're going to ask you some questions 
relatively rapid fire. Rapid fire questions. Rapid fire questions. <laughs> and you go sure. first, Angie. Okay. You've had the opportunity to perform in different locations around the world and in different opera houses. What was your favorite and what was it like? What did you like most about it? Oh, wow. It would be really hard to pick one favorite venue because I'm really grateful to have had the opportunities to sing in a wide variety. But an experience that seemed surreal to me at the time was my first performance in Wild Recital Hall at Carnegie Hall. Oh, Oh, yeah. I could see that. Yes. That's so iconic. Yeah, that's iconic for an opera singer especially. So iconic. Now, you wanted to ask a stage question. Oh, yeah. Remember? (laughs) (laughs) When you go out on stage or you're already on stage and the curtain goes up, what is the very first thing that you're thinking about? Hmm. That probably depends on the role that I'm singing. I might already be doing a stage direction, for example. As the curtain comes up, I might already be doing something in character if I'm on stage. And if I'm not on stage, I'm probably taking a sip of water or do something else just to make sure that my voice stays in shape. Singers, Mm -hmm. um, you know, take a lot of care to do that. So, yes, it's probably a character thing or if I'm still off stage, um, a singing related thing. Perfect. Mm. Is there an opera that you especially want to perform in that, that you would like to have the leading role? Hmm. Well, I'm very grateful to have had opportunities to sing a lot of my favorite roles, but one that I haven't yet performed that I would love to sing is Tancredi. I covered it with Will Crutchfield at Teatro Nuovo in 2018, Mm -hmm. um, and I would love to perform it. Oh, sounds so exciting. That does sound exciting. Let us know when you do. Yes, let everyone know. So if someone wants to become an opera singer, what would be your advice, Madison? It's very important to get uh, good vocal training, Uh and it's also important to gain experience and, of course, to find the right repertoire for your voice. Okay, that's really a good, good advice, because I think without vocal lessons, uh, you there's only so much you can do yourself. Yeah, you can only sing so much in the shower. Yeah. (laughs) You seem to be or there seems in general to be, including yourself, a very dedicated audience that appreciates opera. Is there anything that you're doing to broaden that appeal of opera? I mean, right now you're on a podcast and more people are going to have a little bit better understanding of it. And then they'll be able to listen to some of the things that you've uh, sung and follow you on social media. But is there anything you're doing to broaden the appeal of opera? When given the opportunity, I love to sing in outreach concerts. A lot of outreach performances bring opera to school kids and other people who might not otherwise be introduced to it. And some outreach concerts take place in nursing homes, Alzheimer's care facilities, and other places where residents may know and love opera, but not necessarily be able to go out to live performances. Mm. I like the fact that you said Alzheimer's. It's really interesting about Alzheimer's patients. They hear and understand music quite a bit different than anything else that's going on around them. When you sing with Alzheimer's patients, what what do you see? What kind of feedback do you feel? I definitely see that happen. I, I see them come alive. It's really special. Yeah, because I I know I've seen YouTube clips or social media clips about people that they they basically seem like they're not there. But the moment songs come on, 
all of a sudden they're there. Yeah, their cognitive yeah, health. Yeah, their cognitive is health is there and they can sing the song, they, they can start speaking. And then the moment the song ends, they kind of drift away again. But at least for that period of time, they are there and they remember. Yeah, so thank, you for, so thank cool. you for doing that. Thank you for mentioning that and thank you yeah. for saying that. I think that's very special. And, and out of all the things you can do to broaden the appeal of opera, our listeners are going to hear that answer to your question. And that's wonderful. Yeah. Okay, now I'm going to give you a really brutal one or a tough one. In less than five words, tell people how they should live or how they can live more creatively. I would say embrace crazy ideas. This past year, well, more than a year really, um, has made it more necessary than ever to think outside the box. Yes. And as artists, we're really good at that. But as people pleasers... We can be rather shy about presenting those ideas for fear of being considered weird or just bonkers. (laughs) But um, all, or at least most, of the innovative performances that we've been able to do over the course of the past year have likely been sparked by ideas that might have seemed a little bit crazy at first. Well, that's uh, good advice. You certainly stretch five words into 52 words, but that's perfect. Well, (laughs) sometimes it takes a little more, though, you know, when you're explaining things. The answer answer was great. Well, the the three words were embraced crazy ideas. Oh, yeah. Okay, there you go. I like it. Thank you for... I think it's good. Thank you. Now I can sleep tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now we're going to ask you a question that we ask all of our guests. If you could sit on a park bench and chat with anyone from the past, who would it be? I would actually love to have a voice lesson with Manuel Garcia II. He was a great vocal pedagogue who came from an amazing musical family. Uh-huh. And I would so relish an opportunity to learn from him if, uh, <laughs> if time travel were possible. That would be very cool. Could you do a duet with Pavarotti if he were still available? Oh, that would be so wonderful. Anybody else? Anybody else come to mind? Oh, wow. It would definitely be hard to pick a favorite. I would be really curious to hear some of the singers who were performing during the age of Garcia and Rossini, for example, before Mm -hmm. recording existed. Yeah. The only thing I mean, we have some old 78s of Caruso singing or not 78 whatever those things are those really hard it's a hard it's a hard record and the recording studios at the time weren't that great but still when you listen to these old opera recordings even on the discs or on those records like that it's amazing how powerful and how romantic and how interesting their voices are definitely yes well, no, they sound beautiful. Yeah, they do. Do you have any other questions? No, I think that's that's all. I think that Madison, is there anything that we didn't ask you that you you'd would like to share? That you'd like to share? Hmm. Well, I would love to let you and the listeners know about an upcoming live performance in which I'll be singing Teatro Grattacielo's live drive-in performance of Mascagni's Amico Fritz. Uh, L'Amico Fritz at the um, Phoenicia International Festival of the Voice in New York State. You can find out some more information about that on the websites of Teatro Grattacielo and uh, the Phoenicia Festival. And what exactly would you be singing? I'll be singing Beppe. And what does that mean? It's a pants role, so I'll be singing a role of a man. Sometimes mezzo-sopranos sing roles of 
boys and young men. And um, this is Beth Band. He has some really beautiful music, actually. It's a beautiful opera in general. And I think that this performance will really be something special that I would love to share with as many audience members as possible. You know, there's one thing that we didn't ask, and I know Angie had thought about this earlier than I think we skipped over it, and that was costuming. When you go out on stage, you're wearing, I mean, some of the performances that we've seen, you singing it on YouTube or on your Instagram, you're obviously wearing something that you yourself own or picked out. When you go out on stage on some of these operas, do they provide apparel for you? They usually do provide costumes. Some smaller companies may ask us whether we have anything in our own closets that would be appropriate. If we're doing contemporary opera or um, updated staging, some stage directors put operas from the past into modern day stagings. Mm -hmm. So the singers may have things that are appropriate. But normally when we do period pieces, they do provide costumes. Well, it must be fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> you get to imagine yourself in that time period. I think that well, really my, sets the mood. Yeah, it sets the stage, right? Mm-hmm. Sets the stage. Sets the mood. Well, Madison, yes. you've been an incredible guest, and I know our listeners are going to love all the things that you had to say. They're going to especially like listening to the little snippet that you gave us mm-hmm. of your beautiful voice. Well, thank you for hosting me on this podcast. I really enjoyed it. Oh, you're so welcome. And I agree with Rod. And I think our listeners are really going to enjoy your interview and and learn a lot about opera singing and the whole genre. And so I wanted to let everyone know, if you'd like to know more about Madison, we will have links for her under the show guest tab on thoughtrowpodcast.com so everyone can learn more about her and please connect with her on social media and her website and, and YouTube. Thank you very much, Rod and Denji. It has really been a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for having me with you. Well, it was our pleasure. Yes, it was Thank our you. pleasure. All right. Well, goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye for now. I'm really glad you tuned in today. We hope you enjoyed the thoughts and ideas we shared with you. We post a new podcast every week, so remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. So it's bye for now from my husband, Rod, and I, wishing everyone a great day. Thank you.